This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We're recording on Thursday, March 10th, 2022. Rebecca Shinsky is here with me. I'm Jeff O'Neill. It's springtime, Rebecca. It's cold out, but it's I see daffodils out yes, my window, a little winter yes. crocus. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got daffodils here. We've got some uh, dogwood trees trying to mm. bloom. Eastern bluebirds are back in my neighborhood, which really feels magical. Things are going to be okay. It's all uh, well. You know, we try. At the very least, <laughs> at the very least, it's sunnier. It's sunnier, and the Hulu story about Elizabeth Holmes dropped last week. And that is giving me. Life. You're trying you're... to get me to listen to this. I know. I know this is a. This is a long. Whatever's happening here. Well, you explicitly <laughs> said you want to talk about this. Do you want me to clear the floor? I can go to the restroom for a second. If you want to I talk to the to... people about the. No, I want to talk with you about it. So this is subtle pressure, not so subtle pressure. I was going to say, podcast. boy, is that subtle? I hate to see. Well, you have you met me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is getting me through the week. The combination mm. of Hulu doing. The Dropout, starring Amanda Seyfried about Elizabeth Holmes. And I am in a more guilty pleasure entertainment way, also enjoying the Showtime series Super Pumped with Joseph Gordon-Levitt about Uber. <laughs> I'm just Our, living it is for a, this. There's many sub-golden ages show title in the golden age of adaptations. <laughs> and we get in, we're in a golden age of like the uh, startup uh hubris yes, story we yeah. are and the the uh, apple tv adaptation not even adaptation the apple tv show about we work called we crash starring jared leto and mm. anne hathaway is coming out soon and the trailers for that look bananas and i guess there was a book about that too so that is book adjacent enough that i'm talking about it here but that's been the highlight of my week <laughs> I'll, I'll admit to a couple things um one is i'm not watching much tv right now mm. for whatever reason the second is I'm I'm Holmesed out. I'm Theranos to death. I did Bad Blood. There's been the podcast. There's been a lot of things. There was the trial coverage. I'm kind of out. Maybe I'd be ready for this in like five years. I, I don't know. Mm. But I, I'm just like, I think I've got this. And I'm not, all of them, I don't want to spend time with these people. Yeah. All, and none, none of these fair. people do I want to spend that's time fair. with right now. It is, at least the Holmes one is nothing the material is not new, but I was like, how are they going to do mm. this? Yeah. And, there are these like scenes of Amanda Seyfried as Elizabeth Holmes with her uh, headphones in alone in the office, like early in the morning, dancing to early 2000s hip hop, where I've been like, is this real? Do we know that Elizabeth Holmes did this? Or did they imagine like, who would have pictured Elizabeth Holmes doing this? I don't know. It's very entertaining. <laughs> At some point, we could do a draft of the startup founders you least want to spend a week in the cabin with <laughs> oh god you know and we could pick from you go back to social network you yeah. can pick that you can pick some bezos you know as why isn't there a musk show yet by the way is it just because we like the fall in the middle of the story because you can mm. all go back and it's not the actual person it's their fictional representation so you've got Fastbender as jobs you've got ashton kutcher as yep. jobs you can do all of these oh um, who would eventually. play elon musk is a good question <sighs> He's an unusual fella. Uh, yes. 
maybe we could get an Avengers like team up where there's Musk and Jobs and uh, Holmes and uh, <laughs> Kalanick. <laughs> And they can all ruin the world together. It's right. like the opposite of the adventure. Yeah, I got to say the Showtime series is making me really convinced I don't want to spend any time in any place with Travis Kalanick. But they've got a uh, keg, Rebecca. They, they have and a, a ping pong table. Yeah. They do. They do. You know, the most interesting thing about it so far has been he like he's up late one night. He's watching a video of Jeff Bezos giving an interview online like for inspiration. And they mm. must not have been able to get or maybe they didn't even try to get Bezos's permission to like air the actual interview. So there's an actor from Billions playing Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That's anyway. Maybe uh, Jesse Plemons as Musk. I don't know. Ooh. I'm on I, Plemons is having a moment because mm-hmm. power of the dog and mm-hmm. anyway, the glow up for Plemons. All right. Uh, let's take a sponsor break and we'll get back to, you know, normal human Actual book stuff. conversation. Yeah. All right. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have a listener email that made me feel terrible and great. It will make you feel great, I think, and maybe only me terrible. Would you like to hear it, Rebecca Shinsky? <laughs> All right, I'm here. Okay. This is from Christy. I believe I have affirmative uh, permission to use the first name. The, the The title was Thoughts on Brandon Sanderson Equivalent. So from last <laughs> week in Brandon okay. Swagderson. Uh Um, I hope you all appreciated the pound sign in that that I put in the title (laughs) for the episode. I said I I was having a hard time thinking of another Brandon Sanderson equivalent. You could go up and you can go down, but there's like, it's kind of the habitable zone of the earth. There's like a very Mm -hmm. slim atmosphere layer where we can live and breathe. Who else would exist that for an equivalent thing? But anyway, just a second. So that's, so hi, Jeff and Rebecca. First of all, let me say thanks for being a source of joy and comfort for most of my adult life. I love listening to both of you each week and think I'm more kind, thoughtful, and intentional reader for it, exclamation point. Great, right? We feel great. That's lovely. Normally, I would not include this because compliments make me feel suspicious and uncomfortable, (laughs) but I'm only saying that because the next thing, I don't think it'll make you feel bad. It should make me feel bad because I said, what about, what about Colleen Hoover that, you know, the TikTok thing. And right there was what Christy said, which is I'm mulling over what author, other authors or properties could pull off what Brandon Sanderson did after listening to your latest episode about his Kickstarter campaign. When Jeff mentioned Colleen Hoover and her fan base on TikTok, it made me think of Sarah J. Moss and her fandom. Ugh, yes. And I was like, yes, I'm so dumb. Why didn't I think of that? Christy, (laughs) you're totally right. That would be my draft pick. I think my number one overall draft pick. I think you're right, Christy. Yeah, this is what we get for not really being steeped in the tea of TikTok. Have you read that book? No. You know how I am with bandwagons. I'll read it in a decade. 
But but it's been out for like ten years. It's like saying I'm not on the bandwagon when you're like the Oregon Trail was a bandwagon. <laughs> well, it's like it's we've been here like, for a while. It's not in my direct wheelhouse. No, so I wasn't gonna arrive at it when it was brand new and then now it's big, so I'm not going to get there. So I'll I'll get there in another ten years. And I um, it just hasn't burbled up like I'm trying to think. Well well, like um Hunger Games. Right. It never got it hasn't gotten that big. It's been a slow boil. Um the tide has been rising, but it hasn't really and and the movie does that. I guess that's the difference. The movie yeah. does that. And I do see people in my like Instagram feed who are just, you know, normal, not book professional mm-hmm. people posting about reading it and moving their way through the Sarah J. Moss series. So I believe that it's, you know, it's really getting out there. Speaking of our boy, Brandon Swaggerson. Oh, yeah. Do you want to do an update? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's at almost $27 million right now. And it's still ticking up. Like, you know, every 20 seconds when the, the site updates, 115,000 people have backed it. It was on the CNBC front page. I had a couple of people in my civilian life ask me mm-hmm. about it, talk to my brother about it this weekend. Um, 27 I, we, million You know, I didn't, I didn't capture the link, but I saw um, Sanderson was giving some quotes after the, the launch to somebody, Fast Company, someone. I'll try to find the link. I don't know. Uh, maybe even for next time, we wondered what he thought the outcome was going to be. Did, did he have kind of a sense that it could... The answer is no, Rebecca Shinsky. Brandon Sanders Swaggerson <laughs> is blown away or performing blown away convincingly, which he's passed the Turing test of being blown away I show mean, title. Um, <laughs> you saw that 15-minute video. I believe that he's earnest here. Yeah. 19 minutes, 15. That's yeah. right. Um, so, again, I I think it's something... But does it turn into other somethings? That's the second question of our something for nothing game that we stole for Letterman. Mm-hmm. Are there other somethings that can go to school on this? Sarah J. Moss, I'm sure there must be an adaptation in the works for that. I, I'm sorry, I got stuck on the Hunger Games, but the Hunger Games felt like more an event before the movies came out, even. Because mm-hmm. didn't Mockingjay come out before the first movie did? Do you remember this order of operations? Oh, I don't remember. Hmm. Because, like, that was a big deal when Mockingbird came out. Like, the site was up, and people were going at midnight. I don't mm-hmm. think people were going at midnight for whatever the new Sarah J. Moss one. Were they? Yeah, I don't think so. A Court no, of we'll Thorns and Roses is in development at Hulu for a TV series. Yeah, th- that doesn't tell us anything. Really? No. I mean, no. it's like, if I, if I make a real bad joke, someone from Lionsgate Options is like, you know... <laughs> I just want to know. I just want to have it on the table. Well, one would assume that they're paying attention to how this book is doing on TikTok and elsewhere it, in the culture. It's got to be in the top five unfilmed properties, mm-hmm. right? I At this moment, so. right now, I can't yeah. even think of something that comes out on top of it. Mm-mm. Show titles um, abound, but if <laughs> podcast at bookride.com, maybe we'll play this game next week. Top five, as of right now, doesn't matter if they've been optioned. Just they have not appeared on screen. Mm. Properties that would, you know, do some stuff online. I don't even know. Box office is not our unit anymore. Ratings because Netflix like 17 million people spend less than nine seconds watching this. Like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. But <laughs> what properties are out there that we would pick? And I would even say a single book is not what I'm talking about. I don't yeah. think I'm talking about a single book. I think you're right. No, I think Mm. you're talking about series with capital F fandom of some kind. I can't come up with another one right Mm -hmm. now. I'm sure there are some other fantasy things. And I guess uh, 
the uh, King Killer Chronicle by Rothfuss, which is awaiting its last installment again. That remember that was optioned, and Lin Manuel Miranda was going to make oh, that joint, right? Remember that? that was but weird. wasn't it then? It was Rothfuss who's like editor pu- oh, well, put out that public letter. No that one was talking like, about it anymore. You notice yeah, there hasn't been a what, was, how long ago was how long ago was, was that? Was that a year? Oh, time is so strange now. It was more than a year ago, I think. I didn't put this in the show notes when we were talking about it. Um, our boy George R. R. Martin made another I swore oh, I'm working on it thing. He did. I didn't The see last it. couple of days. <laughs> oh, um, George. I don't know. I, the boy who called, the boy who called, cried dire wolf, I think is <laughs> George R. R. Martin at this point. Oh, well, uh, bonus points to Christy for the Sarah J. Moss. Yes. You nailed and that And thank one. you so much, Christy, for emailing in. And um, I- I'll say at least I'm magnanimous enough to take a pl- public flagellation that someone else had one better idea than I did. <laughs> That's the one I'll allow it. We've noted it March 10th, 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Inscribe it on something stone. <laughs> I'm going to get myself like a nice paperweight. <laughs> yeah. Just... Speaking, speaking of TikTok, mm-hmm. um, interesting results from Barnes and Noble, this is in Publishers Weekly. Uh, Jim Malat doing the kind of year-end roundup, getting some quotes from James Daunt. Um, solid 2021 sales mm-hmm. in the first eight months of 2021 were running five to six percent above 2019 levels. So really trying to get ahead of you know, get outside the pandemic. Let's see the before yeah. times what it looks like. Really fascinating quotes here. Backlist titles drove the overall sales increase, sparked by the impact of book talk. According to Daunt, the success of book talking getting young people interested in books is in keeping with the trend he has been seeing for years. Teenagers and young adults are the main drivers of book sales. I don't make money from old people. I make money from young people, he explained. Mm. Wow. And then here's the quote. This is the money pull. When the school bell rings at 3.30, <laughs> the stores get ready for invasion. Rebecca Shinsky, I'm going to clear the floor to you to react for good or for ill to that particular quotation. When you told me about this earlier this week, I was like very tempted to go to the Barnes and Noble near my house that's central to several schools and just sit there at 3.30 and be like, are oh, y'all here for the new Sarah J. Moss? Do you want some Colleen Are they Hoover? still picking that up? Like, I don't know. I, I need... The first one's free, kid. Like, it's... I'm fascinated by this. And it goes against... The, the idea that it's the young people driving mm. the book sales is contrary to the research from like the Pew Center about who's buying and reading books. So I think all of this comes with a parenthetical of like, this is what happens in Barnes and Noble, maybe not the book world writ large, but book talk seems to be infiltrating all of those corners. Mm. I actually think the most interesting thing about this, now that Barnes and Noble's got the numbers and they're talking about it and they can attribute it to the growth in these particular titles is this is, I think, the first time that someone has had actual numbers that they seem willing to talk about that we can attribute the appearance of a thing on social media to its increase in book sales like for a long time it was look at the things on instagram look at these celebrity book clubs but there was the confounding factor of all of those titles were things that were getting a ton of publicity elsewhere they were you know being marketed out the wazoo so it was like are they selling because they're on instagram or reese witherspoon talked about them or are they selling them because you're marketing the crap out of them maybe both but these the backlist titles are not getting marketing dollars behind them Mm -hmm. it's just organic people picking them up and putting them on book talk and this is the i think the first time that we've really seen something like that and it's fascinating 
I guess the, the, the thing that gives me pause is not the right word, but like how you want to squint your eyes and look at this. So we're saying book talk is a huge phenomenon, something we've never seen like this before in book sales when it comes to, you know, basically it's word of mouth on steroids is how I think Danik and I talked about it mm. because it's being amplified by machines and people looking at right. their phone, right? So it's, it, it's getting amplified externally by these processes and these algorithms that want to show you more and more of the same thing because you look at that thing, they think you're like other things and it has its own recursive cycle. Even with all that, we're up 5% over 2019. And yes, that's yeah. that's a really good point and question. And the thing that I'm really wondering is if you could scale up the purchasing from like the heyday of the Oprah book club when she was there still on TV to current numbers and put them side by side, would this mm. actually be bigger than Oprah going on TV and telling you to read the new Jonathan Franzen or the Wally Lamb novel or whatever? Um, yeah, right. Because the right. media landscape is so much more packed now. Mm -hmm. It does feel like there's an interesting question about how much, um, is it the same amount of water? And like this is a tide, so it's being pulled from other areas mm -hmm. into the book talk kind of a titles. Five to 6% over two years, I mean, as you know, for anyone who knows, is not keeping up with inflation over the right. last three years. So we're actually running behind uh, in inflation adjusted dollars. Does that mean these books are being pulled from other things? Like we, we've talked about this before, how top heavy. There's a mm -hmm. reason we can make Colleen Hoover and Sarah James. They're not even jokes. They're just acknowledgments. Like if you just dip your toes in at all, you're going to get hit over the head with a bunch of things. And then people know they want to make videos about that because the algorithm likes and has a self-fulfilling thing that's way yeah. different than anything we've seen before. Are those people then not buying something else that they were going to buy anyway? So it's less distributed. Or maybe it's probably a little bit. Maybe there are actually more books being sold than if book talk doesn't exist and the shape of those book sales is different. And what this looks like in another two years when we are, I'm not going to like knock on all the wood and cross yes. all of my fingers out of the pandemic, like for real, for real, yep. I think is a really important question because it's the the increase in people having time to read, young people having time to read. And that was explicitly being, mentioned here. Yeah. yeah. And being glued to their phones and technology. Like it's not surprising that TikTok got super popular <laughs> over mm -hmm. the last two years it's more interesting that books are a thing that blew up there but will it be sustaining are there are there teenagers right now run into their barnes and noble to pick up a sarah j moss book who otherwise were not going to be reading like have we increased yeah. the pool of readers or are we just as you were saying moving the checkers around between the kids who are already readers and they're just all clumped on top of the, the sarah j moss Square and the Colleen Hoover Square. I right would now. have to assume that the number of people seeing other people reading like this does mean there are a meaningful number of people that read a book that they wouldn't have otherwise because of seeing it somewhere. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's true. The question is how many of those people are, right? How, how right. is that? What part of that story is? Because that's weirdly, not weirdly, that's actually the, the most significant part if it's true, is how many people are being brought into the book buying realm that wouldn't be there other ways. The other one is kind of rearranging deck chairs, yeah. that you're buying Sarah J Moss versus any number of other fantasy or young adult or adult fiction or whatever, right? How, how much those would just have been replaced by something else? Because what Dante's also said is, especially we're talking about this in the holiday season, if they come in looking for one book, they'll just buy something else. He also mm -hmm. gave us that quote. Yeah. So how are those two things in competition or in coordination with each other? I think we'll see. If we really did, if someone wanted to give us titles. And I saw Publishers Weekly do this earlier, and I didn't really like the methodology, but they looked at like the top 80, I guess, 
authors with the, the, the largest, the 80 largest TikTok followings, mm. and then tried to map that onto sales using BookScan. And it seemed like they got more sales because of it. Well, there's a lot more than 80 titles. So, right. uh, you know, how big of a thing is this? And is it enough where the 44-year-old suburban woman, who frankly to this point has been our number one reader and buyer of books, I assume they still, that person still mm-hmm. is, the median, the most active median, that's a contradiction in terms, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah. How much has this moved the demo, right? Mm-hmm. I think is interesting and in how durable it is because you know what would be sign of peak book talk for me is someone say like, oh, I don't know, James Daunt saying they're going to make their stores into TikTok. That that to me is uh, a way to jinx it. That tomorrow bike dance <laughs> is going to be like, you know what, this algorithm <laughs> stuff. Yeah, you know, we kind of have something to measure this against because we do know that the last time there was a really huge word of mouth phenomenon, Fifty Shades of Grey sold so many copies that yes. every employee of Random House got a $5,000 bonus. Right. Every single employee. And we're not hearing those kinds of numbers about no. this. Um, and that was certainly, Fifty Shades of Grey was certainly an effect of people who you know didn't read or who otherwise would have read like one or two books that year were going and picking it up because it was so in the cultural water. Mm-hmm. We might be seeing a teenage version of that that you know kids who don't typically read or who read minimally are picking this up so they can be in on the thing but i want to see tiktok approach something like with one title approach something like what happened with 50 shades of gray like true capital c capital p mm. cultural phenomenon to to feel like it's going to be worth talking about a whole lot cuz the thing that we also know, like we've watched this happen now in almost 10 years of doing this show with how do I get my books popular on Tumblr? How do I get yeah. my books popular Facebook, on Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. YouTube, Pinterest? Now it's TikTok. And by the time the wave has peaked, that, like that's usually when the marketers are catching on to like, mm-hmm. oh, is there a way we can do this? And then as we say every single time, it's really hard to capture that kind of lightning in a bottle that's organic when you're doing a, a staged thing that's intended for marketing. Yeah. Certainly people make it work and I'm sure there are interesting experiments to be done. But like the fact, I kind of have the feeling of like, by the time the band gets reviewed in the town paper, that band is already over, you know, with like the kids that are in the scene. <laughs> And it feels like by the time, like now that there's a huge Publishers Weekly story that's like Book Talk is doing all the things, Barnes and Noble's rearranging their stores, like it might actually be almost over. And it, even that, even Don's own commentary is a little contradictory because he says the success of Book Talk in getting young people interested in books is in keeping with the trend he is saying, he said he's been seeing for years. Teenagers and young adults are the main drivers of book sales. Hmm. So that suggests that Book Talk is just part of a trend and not a, Epiphenomenon, yeah. which that runs counter to a lot of the understanding I think people have. Of it. This point. is a difference in degree. This is different in kind, not in degree, right? Where maybe what's interesting is there is a kind of a raft of titles, you know, the, all the Colleen mm-hmm. Hoover's, all the Moss, and there's some other, you know, especially romance seems to be having uh, queer romance and queer stories, which is great. That's that's actually a really wonderful yeah. outcome. But it's not, I mean, to pick something we just talked about, it's not the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. not in that kind of cultural awareness is not Harry Potter. It's not Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, and maybe, I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just it's just a looking a little bit different. But even now, like, what's probably the best-selling book of the last three years, Cumulative, where the crawdads sing. Yep. That's not a cultural phenomenon, I don't think. That doesn't even mm-hmm. rise to the level of the other things. So I don't know what to say about that either. Yeah, I don't either. You know, the tiny detail in this piece that I've glommed onto that I'm maybe reading too much into is yeah. they talked about having 
remodeled a bunch of Barnes and Noble stores to make them more friendly for selling books to teenagers around the TikTok mm-hmm. idea. But Dante acknowledges that the initial remodeling was mostly done by shifting your existing furniture around. And like, that is not a huge level of commitment or investment. Let's just put the chairs and tables in different places. Seems like we see that a thing might be happening. We can move our tables around and see if it makes a difference for these kids who like this TikTok thing. But I don't know, if you think a thing is really going to be big and durable, maybe you're ponying up for some new stuff for the kids. But I, I don't even know what that would look like. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah, I, I don't really know. Um, with 2022 starting on the quiet side, Don said what the market could really use is a new breakout hit. Well, then what's the point of book talk? <laughs> You, see, Jeff, you just get on TikTok and you talk about a book and then profit. Yeah. The the idea that, and he doesn't name check the ones we're name checking, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Just the authors and titles by himself and that a breakout hit is different. And that's kind of what I think you're saying about the Fifty Shades of Grey. That looks like a breakout hit. From what Dot is saying, that there's been a lot of sales according to, to Book Talk and people are coming in for a you know, a handful of different titles, maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen, three dozen, I don't know. But there hasn't been enough like juice to have one really spike Mm -hmm. and break through and really become a cultural moment that is about lining up at midnight when there's a new one out or people are talking about it and your mom asks you and your friend read it or your your teenage (laughs) daughter is going nuts for something or your six-year-old wants the new wimpy kid. Like we just don't have one of those right now. I remember talking about it on the show when Fifty Shades of Grey was big, going to get my hair done and seeing like three other women in the salon reading Fifty Shades of Grey on the same day. And I, I... you know, that's a huge outlier. So it's an unfair expectation to set. But I would love to, I feel like I will believe that this is a really durable thing. Like if I'm on vacation mm. and there are 10 teenagers around the pool all reading whatever the current book talk thing is. Like I did see that with um, the girl with the dragon tattoo when that was yeah. big. I remember being on vacation, like everybody around the resort pool was reading that bright yellow mass market God, paperback. This is why we need book scan. I really would love to look at Girl with the Dragon Tattoo mm-hmm. 12, first 12 months versus Colleen Hoover, It Ends With Us, last 12 months. Right. Like, what are we talking about? Or the, what are the other ones? I don't know. So it's, it continues to be fascinating. I think there's way more smoke here than we need to to know that there's a significant fire burning, mm. but how much of the, how much of the forest has burnt? I don't know. Now I'm in real like <laughs> dystopian climate change stuff, but like how durable is this or is this going to run its course like everything else? And it's just the most, you know, spikiest example of technologically assisted word of mouth, or is this a new paradigm in the end of history to some degree? Mm. I feel like that's hard to know. And I still think we're answering the question about all these kids that read Harry Potter. Did they grow up to be readers? What happened to all those kids? Right. It's a great no, I'm, question. It's 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those kids that were at the Harry Potter release Because this parties. is what everyone says. They're getting, we're making new readers. We're getting mm-hmm. more people in. I just don't know how durable that stuff turns out to be. All the people that read Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't know. Are those the ones picking up Sally Rooney and the, the Cloud Cuckoo Land now? Like, yeah. is that how it happens? Or how is it always well, thus and always thus shall be? I don't know. I think maybe we could, if we wanted to like dive into some back data from Pew things, we could look at 
overall like percentages of the population that we're reading now and a decade yeah. ago and 15 years ago. But I'm thinking about the interview that I did. I can't remember the scholar's name now, but when I did an annotated yes, episode annotated. about um, did technology kill reading and the overview was basically no, like no. reading is about as popular as it's ever been. Um, the kids are going to be all right. But if that's true, if it's like be comforted, reading is not getting less popular. The other side of that coin is it's also not getting more popular. More popular. And, yeah. And I'm okay with that. I think that's all right. It would be interesting to have a cultural conversation, especially within publishing, about that. About like, are we, and what should we be trying to do? Should we be trying mm -hmm. to convert new readers? Has that ever actually worked? Um, like, can you have a childhood hit with something like Harry Potter or the Hunger Games and actually retain that yeah. reader into the future of their life? Or should we be trying to, you know, upsell and go deeper with the existing readers and keep them in that? Mm -hmm. Like, are we, should we be attracting new readers or do we want to really focus on preventing reader attrition? And how would you know it worked? I mean, that's the other thing. Right. Like, I, I'm kind of look. I'm kind of throwing shade at how huge Book Talk has been for Barnes and Noble. It's like we're up five percent over two years, even though inflation the last year has been nine percent or something like that yeah. total. Well, what? But I can't prove the opposite. Maybe it would be negative seven percent without Book Talk. That's, right. It's also yeah, very you possible, can't know. right? Yeah. You can't know. It's it's very difficult to say. Um, anyway, so some data analysts out there. I guess you need a book scan account, and. A lot Access of questions. to the Chinese company's <laughs> data, which Good seems like a that. tough beat, <laughs> tough ask. Um, all right, let's do another sponsor break. Um, these are, does anybody care? Two <laughs> stories in a row. No, I'm serious, Rebecca. You're I'm right. not making a joke. You're right. No, no, I'm just laughing because it's very accurate, and I didn't know where you were going with that segue. Okay. Um, the first... I guess the first is, I think, is more clear to me personally that I do care about two new Cormac McCarthy books coming Okay. Out. I do care about that. Um, we've heard for a long time that there maybe was McCarthy stuff out there. I don't know the state of his personal health. We haven't heard anything from McCarthy Land in a long time about, mm -hmm. you know, what an appearance, an interview. I think even The Passenger, which is the movie that he wrote the screenplay for, might have been the last, you know, we had Mac McCarthy out in public doing stuff. So I don't know if this is his state. He's actually writing something. He's still alive. Um, what actually is going on here? So 16 years since The Road. That was the last McCarthy mm -hmm. book. Uh, 16 years ago for The Road, by the way. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Wow. Um, so both of these books sound... I don't even... It wouldn't even matter to me to get a blurb. We got some blurbs about them. What do you think about... Anything specific to say about these books? The McCarthy... Where McCarthy is... I'm not sure what to say. At one point, I would have said, 11 years ago, 14 years ago, we've got we've got a game for a great American novelist, mm. right? Morrison is still alive. We yep. didn't mention McCarthy, I think, in our most recent, like, you know, we've got Jasmine Ward, we got Colson Whitehead. We kind of left McCarthy out because it'd been 12 years, and you got to stay in the game to be the champ. Yeah. Song. Well, the... First sentence here um, in this piece from the Times by Alexander Alter notes that one of the it's a two book deal McCarthy's got going here and one of them is called The Passenger. It's a novel that explores. Oh, no. So sorry, yeah. Esoteric ideas about math, physics and the nature of consciousness. So this fall, he's publishing The, pa the Passenger and then also a second related novel called Stella Maris. Mm -hmm. And 
I just was not expecting the phrase esoteric ideas about math, physics, and the nature of consciousness to be next to Cormac McCarthy's name. So that's interesting to me. My relationship to McCarthy is, I don't know, complicated. Mm. Um, and this will be, I think Stella Maris is the title that has his first female protagonist. So like, mm. thanks for getting around to it, Cormac. Um, and also deals with mental health. And I feel concerned, mm. like just concerned about how up on the discourse is our boy yeah, CM here. Yes. Mm -hmm. How up on the discourse is Cormac McCarthy going to be with this? And also how up on the discourse and ready to uh, act that way about it? Will his editors at Knopf be? It's a good um, question. Really that's I'm, I think that's actually the part of this that I am most interested in. I think two kind of surprise Cormac McCarthy novels is a headline in and of itself. I am curious enough to want to read them, but also I feel like I'm kind of looking at it through my fingers. <laughs> like this could go sideways. In well, it's ways. it's it's a almost a bigger it's a higher stakes version of the old uh, Franzen's got a new book coming out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, and we've heard even McCarthy's older from a different generation. Mm -hmm. He's certainly less plugged in than Mac than Franzen appears to be, even with Franzen's, you know, um, I think now warranted skepticism of social media that we've seen over time. But he's still thinking about things and writing essays and like thinking in public and paying attention to what's going on. I'm guessing McCarthy, you know, is not up on um you know what I'm saying. He, yeah, I, I, I don't do. think that's and, what he's doing. I don't think that's what he's doing. Right. And like... Franzen is coming from he you know he he gets a few things wrong but he's coming from a fundamentally like feminist attempting right. to be inclusive perspective um, and I think he's more aware of what the possible pitfalls are or the limitations of his perspective um, McCarthy I just th those feel like big open questions and the stakes for that for like his legacy yeah. um, are much higher now because yeah. if he didn't do this and the road in 2006 is the end of his career that is a very defined legacy from a yeah. pretty particular era of fiction that was kind of that was a pretty long era mm -hmm. of fiction where you could tell stories that were about certain types of men with certain types of perspectives and that was the thing that you did to be taken seriously um, white dudes or, running away from other white dudes i mean that's kind of what a lot yeah. of the, Meridi <laughs> the, the cormac mccarthy uh right. move is dealing with um, right and this like yeah. sort of stylized violence in a way um mm -hmm. that i just i don't know how interesting these will actually be for readers in 2022 if he hasn't updated his priors it's also very true that late end of life novels tend not of of canonical writers. I'm putting McCarthy in there. I, I'm not ashamed for it. I, I think that's fair at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, very rarely do you like, oh yeah, here's the, the novel at the end that was definitive. Struggling to think of one because the thing that they came up with in their younger life is the thing that was most interesting. It was reacting more immediately to the artistic world around them. Um, and it's hard to stay current with that. I mean, even, you know, Morrison... After Paradise, it's a mixed bag. I mean, still really interesting yeah. stuff, but after Paradise, you're not picking anything for her personal pantheon yes. um, at that particular moment. And you're right. We didn't need another McCarthy after All the Pretty Horses, Blood Meridian, No Country for Old Men, The Road. It's a pretty good run. 
um, for that period of time. I will definitely be interested in one of these. I'll probably read them both, to be honest, as a completionist and someone who I think you're onto something which his legacy is much more up for grabs than I would have thought of mm-hmm. right when The Road came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the Stella Maris, it says he's he inhabits the shattered psyche of Alicia Western, a math prodigy whose intellect frightens people and whose hallucinations appear as characters with their own distinct voices. And it's like, how did he do the research for this? Who did he talk to? <laughs> he has been very, there was some magazine, was it Nautilus? There was some, he was involved in some like science and math organization for a while. Hmm. Like this has been a durable interest. No, that's not to say he's going to do well with it. But I do remember that he was interested in things that didn't seem like he would be interested in knowing that yeah you know, he wrote m- books about people on horses running away from <laughs> other people on horses i'm glad he contains multitudes yes. i will remain concerned about his presentation of women and characters mental with health. mental illness i'll wait I, honestly i'm gonna wait for you to read these and be like okay yes or no <laughs> Right, because I am up on the discourse, is what you're saying. And that I, I think, should be the arbiter of that. I think in our little universe of two here, you're up enough on the discourse to tell me if I'm going to hate it or not. That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> um, the editor, Pamela Paul, uh, stepping down as editor of the New York Times Book Review. Boy, in the 70s, this would have been like, I, I mean, this, is a hu- this would be a huge deal, uh, a mm-hmm. changing of the guard. New York Times Book Review... They do a lot more book coverage these days. Does it? I'm not even interested in speculating about who's going to replace her at this point. I think when the last editor, which I can't remember, which is telling at this mm. point, we thought, you know, who could it be here? Is so. My question to you: Is there anyone they could name? That's not just like a shock. I mean, okay, let's not oh. do that. You know, Howard Stern. We're not going to. Right. <laughs> Howard Stern attention. editing the New York Times book yeah. review is actually within the realm of watch. within the realm of plausibility. Is there anyone that would even make you bat your eyes and in interest at mm. paying attention to what they do? Not. I've got from... one name. Okay. Roxanne Gay, maybe. That's my name. Mm. Uh... She seems to be interested in this world, right? Outside of just just focusing on books she's doing podcasts she writes a lot she's written for the times several times uh, famously uh my memory was when she started writing about her KitchenAid mixer for the yes. wire cutter as part of the new york times <laughs> she would be interested in mixing up coverage which i think frankly the new york times has done a better job of late yes. for sure i'm not i think there's still work to be done but i'm not sure it's the next most impactful thing the times could work on i'm not even sure what that would be at this point yeah i think you know you're right the the coverage at the times is a lot more diverse and interesting than it was and pamela paul did a lot of that brought in coverage of a bunch of genres yes she did she really expanded the way that the new york times thinks about books and reading and coverage of books and especially genres that aren't literary Mm -hmm. fiction and that's been very heartening to see i think it would be interesting to see what roxanne gay would do with this I don't think it would be the best use of Roxanne Gay's time and talents to go edit the New York Times book review. The, the, the who says no question is fascinating with this, this mm-hmm. point anymore. Anyone we'd be interested in maybe shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> go, do what you're doing. Um, I'm sure there's up and coming critics and editors at magazines and outlets and journals that we don't pay attention to or see very briefly that would be fascinating 
um, to see. Yeah. But this is a management gig. I think what I've seen Pamela Paul do of late, she's written a couple of books. She's edited some stuff. She's going to stay on as an opinion columnist. This is not you want to get your own voice into the world kind of a gig. You are right. a coach, right? Mm-hmm. Assembler, um, manager of voices. And, you know, it's an, it's an Herculean undertaking to get this many words out of fancy writers about books in this particular way. Um, but I think a thankless, increasingly thankless job, whatever vocational awe that mm. used to be associated with this gig is a shadow of what it once was. Yeah, um, that's right. So there's not as much payoff to the slog of, of making the donuts at the New York Times Book Review anymore. I'm trying to think of the last time. I'm sure I do that I actually read a review. I read a lot of the Times coverage of books. Mm. And I think that's one thing that's Alexander Alter, and they've hired some other I don't know if you'd even call them beat reporters, but they cover books in the publishing industry in a way that I don't remember them covering it in the past. And that yeah. could be that I was just younger. And well, I certainly was younger because that's how time works. But like <laughs> that I was just seeing th- things through a different eye. And maybe it's largely been the same, but my appreciation for it has changed. I find that coverage to be more indispensable than the thousand word review about the mm-hmm. six midlist novels mm-hmm. um, that I used to read when I was there, 22, 23. Yeah, or something I agree. Like all right. Uh, anything else on that? Let's do one more break and maybe a quick frontless corner before we sure. get out of here. All right. I have a um, Uber adjacent frontless corner Ooh, to talk me. about. I don't think I've told you about this book. It's called The Voltage Effect. It's it's a business book, and it's okay. I think it's written to be picked up by people who want to read business books. It has all the it has all the hallmarks of the business books. It has like a title that's meant to be catchy. Uh, voltage effect TM, right? One of those things. <laughs> uh-huh. It's about scale. Uh, has the cover design. It, it co- it's a combination of uh, case studies and anecdotes and um, barely disguised um, bespoke taxonomy that goes into all of these kinds of books. And I liked it. It's about scaling. Why some ideas are easier to make bigger than other ideas. Mm-hmm. But was most interesting to me that the the fellow who wrote it, um, name is List, John List, was the chief data officer for a little company called Uber. Oh. Got hired by Kalanick and then left to go to Lyft. And you get a few <laughs> little anecdotes behind the scenes. All Also, That's beautiful. one of the great data collection stories, right? Because it's on your mm-hmm. app. You're on your app and you're telling stuff and there's data on the driver's side and on the writer's side and the kinds of experiments they did and the kind of arguments you had. But you get, a, you get some Kalanick stories that are really interesting. But I don't think I'd read a book by one of like the sort of the quants behind yeah, these VC startups before. And it's not, that's in the background. Like he's using that as some of the evidence, but it's not like a memoir of like my mm-hmm. days at Uber or Lyft. It's like yeah. he's using, you know, stuff we know and behavioral psychology and some other things that go on. So it's doesn't break a lot of new ground for me in that respect. I, th- I thought it was good. I, I'm glad I read it. But the thing is, this is someone who's been at the highest levels of the trenches. That's a show title of, of the data <laughs> warfare that's mm-hmm. happened with startups in VC in Silicon Valley over the last 10 years. So um, that was my day, That was my little nugget for you uh, this week. That's a good nugget. You've been doing Efron, and I'm jealous because it's not out yet. Give me give me two minutes on Efron to get oh, me ready. Oh, yes. Okay, I'm listening to Left on 10th. It's, as you're saying, the new memoir by Delia Efron, who was Nora's sister. And it is about early in the book, it opens, which I did not know because I didn't read a synopsis. I like to go into these things cold. So I found out driving around by surprise that this book opens with the death of her husband of 30 years, Mm. which was a rough moment for me. But it's beautiful. 
And she writes about him and their relationship and her just kind of approach to life and love and then moves on to telling us about about a year after his death, she gets an email after publishing a piece in the New York Times from a man that she apparently went on dates with in her 20s and does not remember, but he remembers her. His wife is also recently deceased, and he's reaching out to be like, hey, I saw your thing in the Times. I remember you fondly. Maybe you want to strike up a correspondence? And it feels cool to her, so she begins emailing him and like very quickly they just sort of fall for each other by email um, and then they start having like four hour long phone calls and I'm only about a third of the way through the book but it's becoming this really beautiful story about a, an unexpected late in life love and what it's like to be in your 70s feeling like you're 14 and just nice book that, into heartbreak, sounds like, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, you know what it actually twin. is? Yeah. It is. It is a really interesting twin to heartbreak. It is lovely. She's lovely reading it. She reads their emails from the early days into that chapter on audio, because, of course, you know, we all have our email archives now. And it's just so charming. I would I'm really looking I would like Delia Efron to yeah I would love her to just narrate her life for me for a while but I think you know older women are chronically underrepresented in media and culture love stories that are affirming and mm -hmm. not making some joke of older people in general are really really lacking and this is just wonderful and lovely and I hope someone will make a movie of it I'm really looking forward to that I'm going to do it in on audio when it comes out in April yes. speaking of people you just want to narrate things so I think we may have talked about not picking it in the winter preview draft, but there's a special mm -hmm. edition of Recitative by Toni Morrison, her her one and only short story, Random House. I think it's a Random House. How it might be cut off. I can't remember. Um, put out a slim volume that's just the short story. Maybe a shameless money grab, but I don't care because um, it's been <laughs> no, available. They can have it. It's fine. They can, it's fine. It's Tony. But the thing I really, well, I, I have to have my Morrison. So there's a Morrison. I need to have that on my shelf. So that, but it's a short story, but... The, it's a very slim volume, but half the volume is Zadie Smith's intro to the short story. And she writes about the short story, but also about Morrison. And I wanted it for that. And it's really great. And I don't want to just go read, go read Recitative. Zadie will say anything okay. more that I could possibly say about it. But I think I might rebuy it because I want to hear Zadie read it. Because she might be my favorite narrator <laughs> yes. based on one experience that I'm like, She's while wonderful. I was reading this, I'm glad I had this, but I was like having... I don't know, medium remorse? Like, we need a new book term for this of like, wait a minute, shouldn't I be doing this on audio, but then I don't have it on my shelf, and they're going to get me twice, Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm not sure they, I feel some kind of way about it. I think hearing you talk about it, they're going to get me twice too, because what I want to do is listen to Zadie Smith's introduction and then read the short story in print. Though I actually am not a thousand percent sure there's an audio version. I, I, I guess I would be surprised, but it would, mm. it might make sense if there weren't one. Maybe I'll look on Libby. Maybe I can put on hold for Libby and I'll get around to experiencing it that way. But uh, it's a wonderful introduction. I know this is going to come as a I'm shock so that Zadie writing about Tony is really cool. News at 11. <laughs> um, but that came out in January and I've had it on my list because I didn't really have much to say about it, but I want to get it in here before we get too much farther Great. into this. The spring. That's our show, bookriot.com slash listen to get show notes to links and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast. You can email us, podcast at bookriot.com, especially if, if you've got something that would beat a corn of a corn of thort and roses. That's not right. A corn <laughs> of roses and thorns, the moss. So uh, I should say, do not include that one, or as I would like to say, uh, no moss uh, for the rest of you <laughs> out there. Sure. But any other contenders is fine. Rebecca, we'll talk to you next time.
have a good one. 